people are giving up their freedom to these fears. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of disease. They're afraid of not providing for themselves or their family. And they hand their power over to entities that have no way to provide what they promise. The only way you're going to be sovereign is to take control of your own life. No one's riding on a white horse to save you. No one's throwing the bag of money at you because even if they did, if you don't have the right mindset, that money's going to go away anyway. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Superhumans at Work. I have a very special episode that's going to be a little different than most of the episodes you've been listening to. I also do these webinars slash educational sessions with a company called Lifebook. For those of you who might be closer to Mind Valley, might be familiar with Lifebook. It's a goal setting exercise where you get clear on the vision for your entire life. And they bring an expert every single month about a specific category. And I get a chance to bring them, interview them on something that's separate from this podcast. Yet last month, we had a conversation about finance. And it's such an important category that so many people are trying to figure out. And the expert that I brought was Garrett Gunderson. Now, his session blew away everybody that was on this call that I went over to Lifebook and I asked them if it would be okay that I take what we recorded with Garrett and make it available to all of you here on Superhumans at Work. They agreed and you're going to get here the recording from that session. Now I tell you, get yourselves ready, get a pen, get a pad. This is going to be an incredible session if you've ever had anxiety or struggles with managing your finances thinking should i be jumping into crypto stock market real estate business all of that is explained by garrett in a beautiful way that will make sense of your finances so i can't wait for all of you to listen to this if you're interested in garrett's and going deeper into his topic i'll make sure that in the show notes there'll be some links where you can take the quiz to know your personality profile when it comes to finances and If any of you are interested in Lifebook, because they've generously gave us access to this content, I'll have a link for you to go and discover more from them. And I highly encourage you to consider going through that process. I know I do it regularly. I would encourage you to do the same. Now, let's get started with Garrett Gunderson. Let's face it. When we're talking about the finance category, this is one of the more intimidating categories for so many people. Money feels like a bully for a lot of people. Like, I just don't understand it. I work so hard to get it. And yet, how do I keep it? And then I've got taxes. I've got you know insurance. I've got interest rates if you have loans. I've got all these different components like estate planning and cash flow management. And with everything else going on in our lives, that can become overwhelming. So what I really want to do today is give you the foundational pieces that most people skip. And when you skip that, it creates unnecessary stress, unnecessary risk. And it means you'll be losing and leaking money unintentionally. And when I say losing or leaking money, it's money that goes to financial institutions. It's money that goes to people like insurance companies and banks. And it even goes to the government because a lot of people tip the government. And look, I'm I'm here to tell you, I like tipping. I like tipping people who do really good things for me, but not something I typically associate with the government in today's world. You know, by tipping the government, by overpaying tax, this is like giving a waiter a tip who ate 37 and percent of your meal and peas in your soup. I don't think that deserves a tip. So I'd rather have you keep more of what you rightfully own through ethical and legal strategies. And what I'm here to do today is give you some simple steps that really help you out. 
And in doing that, I would say the most important place to start, the most important place to start is you've got to know your money persona. And so your money persona is what dictates how you make your financial decisions. And there's two paradigms in your money persona. One is a paradigm of scarcity, which I call the consumer condition. And the consumer condition is a place where people look to take more from the world than they give to it. The consumer condition is born of fear, doubt, and worry. The consumer condition is a thing that says if people are wealthy, it's because they've done something wrong or they're evil. The consumer condition clouds our mind from value creation and shrinks us, and nobody shrinks their way to wealth. The other paradigm in our money persona is abundance, what I call the producer paradigm, a place where we seek to create more value in the world than we take from it. It's a place of faith, hope, and love instead of fear, doubt, and worry. It's where profit is evidence of value creation, not deception. It's a place where innovation and ingenuity rule because it's about exchange and serving others and solving problems. And this is at the heart of what's going to make society great and what makes people feel alive and what helps us to connect and help us to live our life book. So you have to go to garrettgunderson.com forward slash quiz to take the quiz. Don't take it as I'm speaking here but it's no charge. I mean, you give me your email and I'm not going to bother you too often. I'll just let you know every now and again when I'm in you know, different cities or you know, telling jokes and trying to make you laugh at a tough topic. But, but ultimately, when you take this quiz, it's going to help you identify which category fits you. Now, in that category, if we're talking about scarcity or the consumer condition, we can even split that off into two more categories, either one called playing not to lose And another one called playing to win. Let's start with playing not to lose. And playing not to lose, people often are thinking about, I need to keep what I have. I need to hold on to what I've got. I've got to scrimp, sacrifice, delay, defer, reduce, no expenses. Those are evil. And budgeting becomes our mindset. And in play not to lose, it's a form of scarcity where people are like trying to do all they can to just survive in the million in the millionaire next door limited mindset people playing not to lose they try to avoid poverty but they get stuck in scarcity and they're stuck in scarcity because of past experience past pain past loss on the other hand playing to win is still lose a game because it's only focused on the future always on this treadmill never enjoying the present people playing to win really are about trying to fill some void that if they have more or if they get more, or if they have more material success, that somehow they'll be more lovable or that they'll love themselves. But ultimately, this is where people are running from their problems. And they're so focused on the future, they never live in the present. So it's either past focused and play not to lose, future focused and play to win, but ultimately missing out on today. And so when we understand these formats, let's look at the two money personas that live in the play not to lose. The first one is called the miser. Now, my family was a bunch of misers, and I'm not like saying it harshly. They were misers simply because my great grandfather left Italy because he couldn't put food on the table because of corruption in southern Italy, because of excessive tax and because of being swindled and making bad decisions financially. He found his wife while she was pregnant saying, how am I going to feed my family? leaves his family for seven years to earn enough money to get them to come over. That is going to get you in a play not to lose mindset if you don't know how 
how to deal with it if you don't have the tools. And not only did that impact him to become a miser, it started to be handed down generationally as kind of a moniker of how my family operated. My family actually put cash in coffee cans. They put those coffee cans in the cellar. I mean, they didn't go out to restaurants. They didn't go to concerts or or sporting events. Hell, it sounds like a pandemic, right? (laughs) But ultimately, that was the miser. The miser plays a game called preservation. And the miser will end up with funds they simply won't spend because they're addicted to holding on to what they've got. On the other hand, the other play not to lose shadow persona living in the consumer condition of scarcity is called the conservative. That's not a political ideology or affiliation. It's a mindset that says it's all about accumulation. It's all about one day, someday. The conservative is an anxious, hesitant, know-it-all. They're overly analytical and they have a hard time making decisions and they are willing to delay gratification and happiness into perpetuity because they're going to end up with funds they simply can't spend because they're afraid they never have enough. Okay, So the miser is going to keep more cash and coffee cans. The conservative is going to sock all they can into a retirement plan. So one has a little bit different like risk profile and one thinks of themselves as much more intelligent, the conservative or the miser would think of themselves as like much more safe and controlled. Now, let's go to the play to win. And Jason, I guess, I don't know if you had a bunch of questions for me. I can't help myself. I just... I mean, I'm just taking notes, brother. And I love the best comment here from Kathleen, which is like, it's too bad you're not more passionate about your topic, you know? So (laughs) just out of curiosity, I'll just throw it to the crowd. You guys enjoying this session so far? Just throw it in the chat. And I think you had Cindy, who was at your show in DC. I was a $20, the puppet girl in the front row. So I think she's seen you live last night. Yeah, she um, a puppet. Awesome, man. Yeah, like my buddy Yannick Silver opened and he gave puppets to a couple people. The front row was awesome. So this is, I'm glad you guys are enjoying this. And by the way, this is the, this is me holding back my passion so I articulate and don't fire hose you too much. Okay, so this is the, this is the held back just a little bit because I want <laughs> this to land and have an impact. So it's working well so far. So keep going, brother. So I'll just review really quick. We're starting out that we talk about these 12 categories of life book. There's actually a 13th category that's the secret category, you know, that John and Missy talk about every now and again. But, but ultimately, there's these 12 categories. And so I want you to, you know, you take the introspection assessment or you look through your life book and you go, okay, where am I most dialed in? What am I doing there? Where am I least dialed in? What am I missing that I'm doing in this other area? Like I pay for, when I pay for things, I pay attention to them. So I actually hired mentors in my health and in my marriage. We, we hired this guy, Dino, who does a thing called the business of marriage. It improved our marriage. Like, so I just took those and applied those. Then we got into that money is something that can be very confusing for people. First off, because it's a terrible solo artist. When our objective is money, our life suffers. When it's a byproduct of our objectives, our life enhances. Meaning money is a great companion. Money is a great tool of measurement. It's an efficient way to exchange with one another. It is a man-made tool that represents value, but it's not why you're valuable. We can store value that we created in the past, and we can get paid for value we create in the present. And ultimately, we can exchange with other people through that money. But what happens is we have to understand money does not reflect your potential or determine your destiny. This is where we got into. There's really the major focus is are you in scarcity or abundance? Scarcity is a form of the consumer condition. We're stuck in consumerism in society, which is about how do I accumulate? 
How do I hold on? How do I get? How do I reduce? How do I do all this kind of stuff so that we identify ourselves by our stuff? And we think that our self-worth and our net worth are tied together. And when we do that, we lose the game. So instead, what I'm looking at is in that consumer condition, well, we have an opposing or better kind of completely different paradigm called the producer paradigm coming from abundance. The producer paradigm is about serving others, solving problems, adding value, more value that we add than we take from the world, meaning we've left the world better because of our existence. But ultimately, we don't get into self-sacrificial ways of people pleasing because that's consumerism. When we do things at our expense, like, and this is a huge concept, when we do things because we're like, well, I'm sacrificing, then it means we're lowering the expression of who we are. And when we sacrifice for others, then we allow them to abuse us to do less of what we're capable of just to appease someone else. Let me say this clearly and a little bit harshly. Fuck people pleasing. Because when you get stuck in that trap, you lose who you are. And within you is something called the sole purpose. S-O-U-L. Your sole purpose is who you are when you're at your best, fully self-expressed. It's where we can most profoundly express who we are with our values, which are script for how we operate, our passions, which you see coming through me now, and our abilities. We have a unique combination. When we identify that combination and express that combination, we create more value. When we create more value, money follows value. But when we have people take value without reciprocation, then we get stuck in a cycle that lowers our wealth. And Adam Grant wrote a book called Give and Take. And in chapter seven of Give and Take, he talked about takers and givers. And he said that the takers are in the middle and the givers are on the bottom and the top. Meaning if you give so much in people pleasing that you sacrifice, you end up losing your sense of self, losing your sense of purpose, being overly busy at the expense of taking care and having self-care and you will be less wealthy. The takers will be ahead of you because they're taking from you. But the people that are the wealthiest are the givers that give freely until it's not reciprocated. Meaning you don't sit there and create entitlement in someone by giving and giving and giving and they're taking and they're taking. You're you're actually violating principles of exchange. And what you're doing is creating a scarcity mindset in the person that you're enabling. And this is hard as hell when it's people we love. That's why sometimes tough love means, I'm sorry, I can't just do this for you. You have to learn for yourself. And this is how money works. Nobody's going to care more about your money than you. You have to become a steward of it. That doesn't mean you have to know everything about real estate or tax liens or options trading. I I hate options trading because it's win-lose. You don't have to know everything about the stock market or business. You have to understand what your lane is, which one aligns with your sole purpose, And then you focus instead of diversifying. Focus and protect, don't diversify and distract. And look, that's something that's really critical to understand because the world wants to tell you to diversify because they want you to spread yourself amongst a bunch of things so you have no fucking clue what you're doing. And then you have no clue why something would work or why it wouldn't work. And ultimately, it puts us out of responsibility and there is no prosperity without responsibility prosperity is a perspective, it's a state of being, and it's a stewardship. And when we overly diversify, we diversify away from knowing what we're doing, which is riskier. The only time diversification makes sense is when you've attained wealth, 
and you have more than you can handle in your segment of expertise, and you need other places to store that wealth where it can still have a way to beat inflation, but you have to do that intelligently. And when you're really wealthy, you get amazing advisors. When you're not, you get salespeople. And that's a harsh reality of the world that I hate to say, but it's true. So let's get into the playing to win segment. That was a weird-ass recap since I gave you a bunch of new stuff and called it a recap. But that's where we're at today, okay? So, <laughs> so on, this, on this other side, the play to win. Like, the play to win is a sneakier, slippery slope. Because, like, when I was a striver, which is the next persona, I thought I was superior. Like, I'm a badass. I'm doing all these things. I'm working 16 hours a day. Can you believe this? Look at my Bentley. I'm so cool. Like, Although my, my wife was like, you're kind of a douche. Like, you never hang out. Like, it'd be cool if you helped take care of the kids. Like, this was kind of the world that I lived in because I was in play to win. And the way that I thought I won the game was status. And the more status I had was about the stuff that I was showing people that I actually earned and that I would work so hard for. But the problem is, when you're a striver, you inevitably will burn out. Inevitably burn out and burn out people around you. Because you think that work is always the answer. I can work harder, sacrifice more to get where I want to go. And strivers think the ends justify the means. But what happens is they get to the lonely end and they either break down with their health, break down with their relationships, or they have to look in their self-examination and go like, hey, what is all this for? Is it really making me happy? It's not saying stuff is bad. It's when stuff is higher than people that it becomes bad. Okay? So the striver. That's play to win. Now, the next play to win is the high roller. The high roller is different than the striver because they don't really care whether they earn it or not. Like the striver, if they buy the Bentley, they want to have paid for it. The high roller is fine renting it and telling you it's theirs. Okay. So they're, they're like, the high roller plays a game called opportunity. They've always got investments you should make. But the problem is high rollers cut corners and take unnecessary risk and people around them lose money because of that. And the high roller just kind of moves on a lot of times. They go, that's just the way the game's played. So the high roller is probably the most dangerous of the four personas to others, although the striver will burn them out. But these play to win people, you know, like they have the appearance a lot of times of wealth, but it's a hollow wealth. It's a shallow wealth. It's not a sustainable wealth. And so they can be admired, but not always to be edified, if that makes sense. So, so that's the scarcity consumer condition. Let's opt out of that for a minute. And let's say, what if instead of playing not to lose or playing to win? I want you to think about that. Right now, are you playing to win or playing not to lose? And we now know that neither way is actually going to get you to win. Both strategies lead to the same outcome, losing. So if that's the case, what's the alternative? Now, I can say abundance, but that feels like we're frolicking through the field, holding hands, and, and then we, the movie ends, and you're like, oh, shit, I'm back in real life. So the other way to play is what I call win. Win, then play. So how do we win first? We win first by designing a game worth winning. Look, where you create an exciting and compelling future without compromising or sacrificing today. Win then play is a philosophy that I discovered that allows you to create an exciting, compelling life right now, and you create a life that you don't want to retire from. 
If you want to retire from what you're doing, you're not living your best life. You're not living your life book. You're basically saying, I'm going through this bridge so I can get to a better life. But the question is, do you know what that better life is? See, vision is your win. When you create a vision that's so compelling, so exciting, so engaging that you're willing to dedicate your life to it, now you're in the game. Now the game, now the win is in the work. Now you're not just trying to get somewhere because you're in the joy of the process. I'm on comedy tour right now. I just did my third city. It's actually my fifth time doing this comedy set because I filmed the special already. But like, I'm not going, oh, I, I want to get to the next. I'm enjoying each night. Each night's different. Like, I already have the vision of entertaining a billion people so we can plant a seed of hope, connection, and expression to restore love to humanity through humor. So, like, my vision will take a lifetime. And I'm enjoying the process because I've already won the game. Because I've already won the game. Because I'm playing a game worth winning. And I'm finding time for artistic expression, for play, like last night, I went to a dinner before. There was 30 people at this dinner, people that I know were hugging, we're doing all this. They made me this stupid picture of my face on a stick and they held it up last night. Then we went to a dinner afterwards. Like, like that's a win. That's enjoyable. So you want to create the win up front. Vision is the win. Then value is the way. Okay, vision's the win. Value is the way that you fulfill that vision. Dollars become the byproduct of the value and prosperity becomes how you stay in being and present. So let's look back at how do we win then play with our winning personas. So when we're in a winning persona, it comes down to four things. The first thing is you learn how to co-create. Find someone who can support and inspire you. Find someone who can create accountability so you can move past scarcity moments into creation. Like co-creation, when I started doing comedy, I called my buddy who's a comedian and I said, can you come into my office tomorrow? I want to write some jokes. We spent two hours together. Co-creation. You don't have to do this alone. I don't know why people think they've got to be isolated and do everything by themselves. How in the world did I start in 2017 as a hobby doing comedy to having Barry Katz, who's managed Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, like the list goes on. Picked me up in 2019. That was two years of as a hobby is because I learned co-creation first and foremost. And so you can collapse time and accelerate results. Just like when you go through life book. Now, all of a sudden you've got premise, vision, purpose, and strategy. And you've got this, this beautiful co-creation that gives you a map. You got John walking, like that's co-creation. But the second thing, this is the tougher step. This is the tougher step. We've got to eliminate escapism escapism. Oh my God. I can't even tell you how confronting it is. I had hernia surgery in November. And right after surgery, my manager's like, it's time for you to write your special. He's like, when I shook your hand, I knew that we'd do a a streaming service special. I'm 22 for 22. It's your time. And I'm like, I'm in a place where I'm in a dark room healing from hernia surgery, laying there eating gummies instead of opioids and being like, Oh my God, I, what the hell am I thinking? I'm, I can't be a comedian. Am I even that funny? And you know, I got my wife in my ear saying that from 2005 when I tried it the first time and it went really bad. And I'm just in this like doubt. And I'm like, okay, so what I want to do, I want to start watching stupid sitcoms so I didn't have to be with my thinking. I wanted to like, you know, eat a gummy so I didn't have to deal with reality. Escapism is getting caught up in some other TV series or movie character rather than your own life. 
when we don't want to deal with people or don't know how to deal with people, we turn to the news or social media or some other distraction because we don't want to know the cost of a real relationship, especially the one with ourselves. So escapism means we can no longer put things under the rug and hope they go away. We can no longer delay conversations. Yeah, procrastination is the thief of joy. And look, I get it. It's so easy to make these difficult moments so big that we pretend projects take priority over them, like confronting someone compassionately about a conversation you want to have that keeps occupying space in your mind. That's escapism. Oh, that's going to show up as disease in your body or in your actions or become the consumer condition. We have, like yesterday, I had this huge epiphany about someone in my life that is no longer serving me and trustworthy, who's been in my life for 18 years and has an integral role in my overall financial world. And I'm going to have to remove them from my life. That's not an easy conversation. In my head, at the moment, I got to tell you, I was like, oh, I, I got to wait till I get home to do this. And I'm not getting home for you know another eight days. And I was like, nope, I'm starting the conversation with compassion and love, but I'm doing it just in an email to get it started. And we'll get deeper because I don't want to delay. That's what escapism does. It lies to us and tells us we can't handle reality. We can't deal with things. And we either hide from our problems or run from our problems. Hiding is play not to lose. Running is play to win. We get stuck in a losing game. And then we start back over. It's time to re- it's time to cut that circle off, get out of the vicious circle, and get into the circle of value creation, of expansion, and of dealing with things. Now, the third step. So remember, it's co-creation, elimination. And the third step is delegation. As you create profitability, as you build momentum, have people that can support you that you can fully delegate roles to them, R-O-L-E-S, not tasks, so that they can all of a sudden remove that off of your plate so you are freed up to live your winning game. Then the fourth one, and this is the game changer. We are stuck in a society that believes in isolation, but the real game is collaboration. Collaboration is different than co-creation. Collaboration says, now that you have this vision, find the leading people in the world that can help you expand it further. I brought in Marty Kulner, who's probably responsible for more pop icon moments in history than anyone. He did the very first comedy special. He did the Live in Central Park with Garth Brooks, the Rio de Janeiro with the Rolling Stones, 2 million people at that concert. I mean, he did the first ever MTV music video, and he became part of my team because I had a compelling enough vision, because I dealt with my escapism, because I shared who I was in a joke that he thought was a great joke, and he says, I'm now on board. That's collaboration. Get people that take you beyond what your current skill sets can do by themselves and collaborate to achieve more. So co-create, eliminate, delegate, and collaborate. This is the formula to now get into the winning game. And the winning game is the mindful manager replaces the miser. The mindful manager is detail-oriented, they're efficient, and they're great at improving things. They're instrumental for any organization looking to reduce waste and absolutely enhance ideas. You want one of those in your life. Instead of the conservative, you've got the planner. The planner is a stable and thoughtful and strategic person. They're instrumental for any organization looking to reduce risk and monitor the effectiveness and efficiency of any initiative. Now, what's the difference between them? Collaboration versus isolation. That's one of the major differences. When you're isolated, budgeting, seeing what you're going to do to reduce, spending all your time coupon clipping, not, that's not value creation other people. And you've got to value your time. The mindful manager and planner value their time and bring their services to more people. And by bringing their services to more people, they add more value. When we see Mind Valley and Lifebook team up, that's a collaboration that got more people in the Lifebook because of the skill sets that Vision and John and Missy brought collaboratively 
that they didn't quite have individually. That you witnessed it, you watched it. That's why that's such a game-changing impact. Now, on the other side, the striver becomes the creator. The creator is an artist. They're an inventor. They're an entrepreneur. They lead with innovation and ingenuity and inspire others. Instead of the high roller, you have the catalyst. The catalyst is a visionary, a mover and shaker and a connector, right? The catalyst thinks and plays big and shows us how we can all win together. See, the winning personas, when you know your winning persona, you make better financial decisions. You add more value. You don't get stuck in the trap of scarcity in the consumer condition where you think shrinking your way to wealth will work, which it never does. You get into the expansive nature of service and solving problems and delivering value. And this is just part of my being and who I am. I haven't written anything down. I haven't prepared anything for today. I just live and edify this because it's how I became a comedian, because that's how I live my life book. And so I can share this from a passionate place because I've watched the impact over and over and over again. And it's time for you to retire from scarcity and embrace abundance. It's time to retire from the notion that one day, someday, and instead, I want you to really embrace your sole purpose. I want you to listen to your intuition, to that gut feeling. I want you to pay attention to that light feather to the face because when we're too busy, we can't hear those things. Pay attention to your dreams. I had a dream once. It was like, you're going to do a one-man show. I'm like, what's a, what really? It was like, and I was like, okay. So the next day I was like, okay, I got to start with co-creation. I call this guy, Michael Port. He's in a, he's written a bunch of New York Times bestsellers. He was an actor. And now he teaches people how to perform on stage. And so he became my director. I was like, that call after getting the intuition led to that. So we have to listen to our intuition. Intuition is not always convenient. It's not always easy. Like the path of our purpose isn't always immediate fruits. It's hard up front because we have to break patterns. We have to learn new skills. We have to face and confront scarcity and fears. But it's where the richness is. When I said I was going to do stand-up comedy, I told so many friends that at that open mic, there were six rows of my friends. I couldn't back out. I'm like, oh, shit, they're here. I can't just walk out. Like, everybody knows I'm doing this because it was part of the process. But that night was electric. I was so excited because I confronted that fear and instead of let it consume me. And when I broke through it, I had more power. And on the other side of this, if you have fear around money, if you can break through that, you're going to have more power. And that power is going to lead to more wealth because as you can become a better steward that's not stuck in the consumer condition, but it's more abundant and it's more about you know stewardship and, and value, more will come to you. More will be given to you. But to have more come to you, you've got to deal with your demons. You've got to face your pain that has been owning you. Pain is like a puppet master. I know exactly where it leads to. Addiction, disconnection, and disease. And when we have pain around money, we go, uh, I don't want, then we overconsume it or we oversave it or we get owned by it. And I want it to be something that doesn't own you, but something that you've mastered and becomes a servant to you rather than a master to you. And when you get to that place, you live your best life. You find your flow. You make decisions based upon your winning persona, not your losing persona. And you enjoy the hell out of life. So look, it's a game worth playing. I'm not saying all this is easy. But if you just right now said, what's one thing you've been avoiding? What's one thing you haven't addressed? What's one thing you haven't acknowledged? Do you have a fear around money? Do you have something like a false belief about it because of a parent, well-intentioned preacher, teacher, family, or friend, right? Like, do you have anything that you just have been scared to address? And what if you just got the courage to address one thing? 
what you're going to find is it's going to be stressful. You're going to maybe get a bunch of adrenaline comes through. You might shake a little bit, but once you break through it, you're going to have these endorphins release where you go, okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Like I've been in really difficult conversations. And in those conversations, I'm like, what, where am I feeling pain? Why have I been avoiding this conversation? It, how's this going versus the worst case scenario that I was thinking when I went in these conversations. And what I found was even in the most painful conversations on the other side, if I was willing to go through the pain versus skirt around it was connection and consciousness. And the reason we're less conscious and why, look, at this is the big problem in the world today. We're being sold fear with every fucking word, with every statement. And people are giving up their freedom to these fears. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of disease. They're afraid of not providing for themselves or their family. And they hand their power over to entities that have no way to provide what they promise. The only way you're going to be sovereign is to take control of your own life. No one's riding on a white horse to save you. No one's throwing the bag of money at you because even if they did, if you don't have the right mindset, that money's going to go away anyway. So today is the wake-up call to say, stand the fuck up and own your life. Own your finances. Deal with your stuff. What are you hiding from? Confront it. You're more powerful than you could think. Stop listening to the outside voices that tell you it's not your fault. Stop listening to outside voices that tell you it's everyone else's fault because I don't care whose fault it is. You can do something about it. And when we get out of that victimhood of blaming others, we get into a powerful place of being being in flow, being in connection, being in expression. And to me, that's what life's about. Connect and express. We have this opportunity to be artists. I don't care whether that's gardening like Missy does. I don't care whether it's painting and stuff that John does or music that they do together. Like that's all artistry. Why do I do? I do all sorts of things that I never consider myself as an artist because when you don't consider yourself as an artist, you're not an artist. When you consider yourself as an artist, you become an artist. Your expression will be what your expression is, whether it's picking up a musical instrument or whether it's writing a poem. I write poems. What the hell? I didn't start doing that until I was in my 40s, but because I'm, I'm expressing, because I'm free enough and powerful enough to be in tune with who I am, which then expands my wealth. And that's the thing people don't see. When you own your artistry, you will become wealthier. When you find a hobby that has you lose track of time, you'll listen to your intuition. And when you confront your fears, you will eliminate them and you'll show up with love. And so I will say this, like, I don't have all the answers, but I can give you this. Make sure in any situation, you just ask, how would love show up? What would love do in this moment? Because love is so damn powerful. It's not just an emotion that makes us vulnerable and tender. It's also an emotion that makes us connected and together and tribal and powerful. And that energy is so much more than fear is, but fear is only when we don't believe in ourselves and we buy into someone else's narrative. And this narrative that money's complicated is a narrative sold to you with billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars so that you don't rely on it. You hand it over and everyone else gets rich on your money and your work while they sit there with structures that skim and take and you take the risk and they get the return. Be done with that. I have zero money in the stock market. Zero. Haven't. Don't even care if it goes up or down. Like I invest in myself. I invest in my companies. I invest in my skill sets and my career, and I invest in my family. I don't invest in things I don't understand, which means my life has got a lot simpler. Like it wasn't always this way. I invested in oil and gas. I invested in, a, I owned a hard money lending fund. I had over a hundred real estate properties at one time. And you know what? My life was consumed with that shit. 
I'm trick-or-treating with my kids and taking phone calls from tenants or property managers or banks. Like that's no way to live. And I said, hell no. What's my winning game? What are my rules? Create my boundaries and live my way. You know, I don't do email because that's me. Other people do it. That's fine. You know, I don't do much with social media. I've gotten into it a little bit because I'm promoting my tour and I kind of feel like I'm pouring myself out going back to social media. But ultimately, you know, it is kind of fun that I'm getting engaged with people and talking back and forth, but I'm going to determine the rules. I'm going to exit all social media by the end of the year because it's not required in my winning game. It's what society requires for other people when they're playing someone else's game. Now, other people, that is their game. But my game is time to myself, time with my family, staying fit in all categories, and then having some time in business that will be based upon the way that I want to do it. You have that power to choose that game as well. So I I guess I'll breathe here for a second. I don't even know how long I've been going or what's (laughs) happening here. I think you deserve a little breather. We've been going on for 40 minutes, brother, and you've been really rocking it. So thank you so much for showing up here. The comments are just going absolutely crazy. I thought uh, Alice actually might be a really fun person to bring up because she had a question. And I know we've talked about this before and you have a powerful answer about it. Go for it, Alice. Excellent. Oh my God, I'm excited to be live. Thank you so much. Thank you for this awesome presentation. Really, you're breaking down the topic very efficiently. So it hits the nail on the head. Yeah, I asked a question in the chat about, you know, you you mentioned that you got rid of all this investment opportunities that were taking too much of your time. But all these investments like stocks or Forex or property, et cetera, et cetera, are often referred as passive income. So do you have any passive income strategies yourself or what do you think? What is your take on that? So this is my this is my take. We got to be careful with the term passive income because it makes us think that we don't have to do anything for it to keep coming in. And we have to monitor it. We have to manage it in order to maintain it. Cash flow and recurring revenue are the terms I love to use because semantics matter and our language matters. So you want to have enough cash flow coming in from assets to cover your expenses. That's called economic independence. So absolutely. Now, the first ways that we can get there is I want people to plug financial leaks. Can you get better interest rates, pay less on tax? Can you pay less on insurance costs and still transfer your risk? Can you remove investment fees that are dragged? So you find some money, right, that's rightfully yours, and then you start creating cash flow. Pick the type of investment that's right for you. What type of investment, you know, speaks to you and focus on that and make sure those are cash flowing investments. Then get enough cash flow to cover your expenses, which means now every time you earn money, you can buy more assets and increase cash flow because it's not required for your lifestyle. That's economic independence. That is the game. That's super smart. What you said, you're spot on cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, where everybody else is focused on, oh, I'm going to set this money aside and hope it grows for the next 30 years. And then, no, no, that the problem with that is you never learn cash flow. And then when you get to the point where you're supposed to take money off of it, that's cash flow game and you're ill prepared. Cash flow is the game of investing. Focus on it. Get it as passive as it can be, but never get a mindset that it's totally passive because you want to be in, you know, in charge of it and steward over it and understanding how it works. But there's strategies like in real estate that people do passive income, but let me give you more unique ones. Buying businesses, people create you know, income that becomes more passive over time. It's very active up front, but it can become more passive as you build a team. And then intellectual property. I make a lot of money selling books, selling courses that I created once, and they continue to pay me. So that's another thing, licensing deals that I've done with other people. So these are types of considerations and a couple ideas there. 
Right. Thank you so much for your answer. I want to bring up Aaron, and I know Garrett, you already acknowledged the question. So, Aaron, if you can come up and ask your question, I think you've already been unmuted. So, go ahead with your question. Yep. My thought behind that is just right now, I finished my first year of university, and I'm not feeling very well. This whole system kind of feels like, okay, if everyone can learn that, well, then everyone has the skill set, but it doesn't really make me unique. It doesn't really speak to my heart. So I'm thinking about this, okay, what does university really promise to me? It's like a good job and earning money. So yeah, I would like okay. to, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about this. There was a game when I was a kid and it was been around for a long time called the game of life. I don't know if you've heard of this board game, the game of life. And the only way you could really win the game is if you got a college education, which what that was doing is putting this into people's minds that I have to get a college education. Now here's, we're going to go for a few minutes down this rabbit hole because I think it's really important. The world wants you to believe that your value is in a degree. That's the world. That's the people that are actually part of the system saying, Hey, we want doctors to be educated based upon what we teach them. And then you have to trust them for your health. And you can't, you can't be valuable unless you get these designations. The problem is that system, where are they getting the information? Are they actually getting the information from science or are they getting it from pharmaceutical companies? Are they actually advancing with everything that's possible today with our mentality, not just our physicality, or is it limited to the scope of what's been approved in the, inside of the system? And so what happens is people become really intelligent in things that may not matter or they get really informed in things that might be limited in scope and not coming from abundance. And ultimately, they're being trained that, hey, in order to be valuable, it's about how much time and what kind of grades and what kind of degrees. And ultimately, like, look, I got a degree, but I was making more money than any professor at my university before I graduated. I was barely going to class and just having them put tests in the testing center. And ultimately, I had one dean that understood like, hey, what you're doing is great. Everyone at the university are like, no, you should go get this job at Anderson or at Merrill Lynch because that would bring notoriety to the college. And the reality was, like, we all have a sole purpose and we can learn from our intuition and we can learn from the gifts that we were already given when we were born and develop those. And sure, reading can enhance that at times if it's the right reading. The wrong reading can indoctrinate us in something that is actually not helpful for us. And so this is not something you would hear from most people. I don't read books anymore unless they're spiritually related books. I don't read any business books anymore. I don't read any marketing books. I don't read because I'm going with who I am as a person and my sole purpose and not these structures that are created that are tested based upon a system that might not be relevant for me. Because when I would read books in business, I'd get overwhelmed with all the shit that I'd have to implement or that I wasn't doing and start feeling bad. And now I'm distracted, not listening to, not creating my vision. I'm spending all the time busy implementing all these damn systems. So if we give over our power to an institution and say that greed determines what our value is, we stop learning at the level we can when we graduate. The reality is all that was was a permission slip. And hopefully you made some great relationships and you learned how to get through some things but your real education is within you and it's your sole purpose. So you've got to discover who you are because when you discover that, you'll be so damn powerful that no degree is going to matter. Look, man, I've had more breakthroughs by people who have no, no designation to be a doctor, but they just have intuition in my health than any doctor's ever brought me. Now, I've been really glad that there's doctors that can stitch me up when I have a hernia. I'm really glad that there's doctors when there's an emergency that know what to do or I break something. But what a lot of doctors don't know is most of our shit's in our mind and it manifests in the body. 
And if you don't take care of the mind, I don't give a fuck what you do to the body and what nutrition and supplements you take. It doesn't matter because consciousness trumps all. And when we're in an education that eliminates consciousness and creates rote memorization, we're not the best version of who we can be. And when we see our value and what other people tell us we're valuable versus the value that we know we have and that we show by taking action, that's another problem. A college degree means shit today. It's just a permission slip. You've got to go beyond that. You've got to really get clear about who you are and never let that define you because it should be behind you, whatever it did, move on forward. And now really immerse yourself in the education of self. Immerse yourself into self-care. Immerse yourself into what do you really want to develop? Because did, did college teach you emotional intelligence? Hopefully it did with a little bit of the interactions and stuff. Did college teach you like skill sets of communication, like speech and writing? Well, if you didn't get much, that's the next step because speech, writing, connection, like love is the thing that will help that no fucking degree will ever give you. But when you love people want to work with you, people want to know you. So increase your capacity for seeing others, listening to others and loving others and master your money. And none of that shit comes in college. Not that I have an opinion. (laughs) Thank you. Garrett, thank you so much for your time. This was incredible. A wealth of information in such a short amount of time. You didn't hold back and we really appreciate you. Really quickly, I think you also have a book coming out early next year. Can you tell us a bit about that? What's coming up? Two books coming out. Disrupting Sacred Cows, I think, comes out later this year. And then I have another book. Right now, the tentative title is What's Your Number? But it's really the, the, a lot of the concepts we talked about today with the money personas. I did write one called Win Then Play that we didn't release that is now going to become... Like, I've been working on this book for five years. It's like my, my main best book I've ever done, you know, all my heart and soul in it. So be on the lookout for those things. I think if you go to garrettgunderson.com forward slash comedy, you can get downloads of Killing Sacred Cows and What Would Billionaires Do? I think you can grab two books right there, garrettgunderson.com forward slash comedy, if I'm correct. So, oh, and it looks like Disrupting Sacred Cows can be pre-ordered, someone just said. So that's awesome. You know, I'm not even up to speed on all this. I'm uh, just telling jokes and uh, giving you all I've got. So yeah, thanks, Jason. You're always fun to do this with. I don't know. I'm so comfortable with you. I just jump in, you know, and you just create beautiful space for it. That's what I'm here for, man. Thank you so much for joining. And yeah, we'll be in touch. And all the Lifebook members here, you've just had Garrett Gunderson. Make sure you go to garrettgunderson.gg. There's tons of resources, tons of links. Garrett, enjoy the rest of your day, everybody, wherever you are in the world. Enjoy it. And until our next call, thank you so much. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.